Keyboard Kimura podcast is brought to you by OneBone. If you're a bigger guy like me, chances are you've had problems finding shirts and gear that fits properly. The length is there, the sleeves are too wide, and the fit is all boxy. The sleeves are good, the shirt is a little too short, meaning your belly or your butt sticks out, which nobody likes. OneBone is the answer. The gear is made of 95% cotton and 5% spandex, meaning you get a little stretch and it fits right in all the right places. There's length to cover your gut and your butt with a number of different designs, styles, and colors to give you a complete wardrobe of good-looking gear that makes you feel comfortable and stylish every day. And as a supporter of this podcast, OneBone is offering you 10% off your next purchase with the promo code ESK10. That's my initials, E-S-K, all capitals, and the number 10. Just go to their website, onebonebrand.com, check out all the gear, Figure out your size with their terrific sizing guide and get yourself into some fresh new gear this summer and become a part of the growing One Bone community. One Bone, the biggest brand. Rafael Faziv has proven that he is a lightweight contender and a bunch of other things happened. It's Sunday, July 10th, and these are the next day takeaways. Welcome everybody to another edition of the show. He's Spencer Kite, joined as always by Harry Powell over at midnight in London to talk about UFC Vegas 58, which went down yesterday, headlined by Raphael Faziv getting the win everybody was waiting to see if he could get in the main event against Rafael Dos Anjos, former lightweight champion. Fifth round, early fifth round knockout on a beautiful left hook and some coffin nails that answered a lot of the questions we had about the, I guess we have to call him Azerbaijani fighter now. That's who he represented last night was Azerbaijan. This was a performance to me that, as I said, answered answered a bunch of the questions. We went in wondering how he would do over five rounds, how he would do with the pressure, how he would do with the wrestling, finally facing a guy that we knew was going to really try to wrestle and grapple more so than anyone else he had faced. We were going to find out if that takedown defense number was inflated and and artificial or legit. And I come away from Sunday night. Still, there's still questions, but they're new questions. They're questions about going forward. Because for me, this was the performance that says, okay, welcome to the VIP room, which is the top, you know, six or seven of the UFC lightweight division. Mr. Powell, what were your thoughts? So, as always, I'm I'm always dubious about this stuff, right? I'm I'm dubious about hyping fighters. I'm dubious about about you know doing that sort of thing. I was I was impressed with Fizayev. I was impressed with his ability to keep it on the feet. I was impressed with his patience in the in the grappling exchanges. Um, I still think that there are some questions around the cardio and the go as the fight goes on in the late fourth. I think it was, he just accepted a takedown and was doing like a, a, a variation of an L sit to stop him from having his hips dragged away from the mat and was just resting there. And I wrote in big caps in my notes that RDA absolutely should be really putting the pressure on here, given that, he had essentially lost the first three rounds. I thought that Fazeev's confidence in going to the kicking game 
regardless of the dangers that was coming, showed us just how deep the well goes in terms of his confidence of being able to anti-grapple and being able to keep things on their feet or being able to get up if asked. I did think, and I think it's important to mention that I wasn't impressed with RDA's game plan and I wasn't impressed with the adjustments that he attempted to make mid-fight. I think he fought too close to Fizeyev and I think that actually allowed Fizeyev to get off his kicking game far better. The The speed advantage was definitely with Rafael Fizeyev. Um, and whilst in the first round we saw RDA try to make the read and catch the kick, he wasn't able to catch the kicks effectively and run him down like maybe I thought he was going to. My assumption going in was that RDA would fight on the outside and would look to either catch kicks and run him down or use uh, those counter opportunities to get to his hips and run him down. Um, and we saw some of that, but a lot of it, RDA was fighting from a far closer range than I anticipated. And that I think was one of the reasons for his detriment. Yeah, I don't disagree with any of that and, and we'll go deeper on it. Um, and I do agree that, you know, making, making assessments immediately after the fact and really sort of, pushing exactly where these guys are going to go or trying to set up matchups and things like that always challenging especially next day it being so recent the thing we talk about and, and one of the things we talk about you and i and just us in general on the severe mma preview show is sort of understanding the quality of these victories and the caliber of the opponent you're facing and making not assumptions but making our arguments and and making our opinions based off of those things because they're they're fairly tangible right we know the level of Rafael dos Anjos and for me that's the piece of this that really sticks out is that not only had no one stopped him since Eddie Alvarez when he won the lightweight title but he hadn't been knocked down since the Jeremy Stevens fight which was his first fight in the UFC Alvarez got a standing TKO kind of the same way that RDA you know had bludgeoned various people when he was at his absolute best and so while there are still as you said and, and correctly said some questions about the conditioning you have to look at this a little bit and and again this isn't to take anything away from Fazeev or to you know instantly start pulling back on what I said earlier Javier Dos Anjos is 37 years old he's not the guy that was the champion he's still extremely good extremely talented we saw that earlier this year against Moicano, but still a terrific performance. And to get a fifth round stoppage like that, to come out of the gate, showing that aggression in that fifth round when he could kind of take, take the foot off the gas if he wants to. As you said, in that fourth round, there was the moment where he seemed to concede the takedown and just say, all right, fine, I'm, I'm up 3-0, he can have this one. And We'll see what happens going forward to come out and blitz and finish that quickly. And it was a lovely kind of setup. He did the little hop into the knee and then just fires the left hand as he, as his foot hits the ground. Those are the things to me. And you mentioned the speed and, and those sort of elements are all things that when I was watching it last night and in watching it back today, I think it matches up well with some guys or it makes for some interesting matchups with some of the people that are still ahead of him or in that same orbit in the division. And I think 
we're going to get to see some of those fights. I don't know who it's going to be. I'm not going to speculate as to who it will be. You know, he asked for Justin Gaethje. Absolutely sign me up. I'm completely in. That's now both lightweight winners, lightweight main event winners of the last few weeks that have asked to fight Justin Gaethje. I hope one of them gets him. But it was just that kind of performance to me that sort of solidifies because of who he beat and how he beat them, beat him and all of the things we saw throughout. But this is a guy that we we have to look at as an actual player in this division, at least in terms of deserving these opportunities against this next crop of established people that are still in that contender range. Yeah, I agree. I'm going to fill in two two things and I'm going to go on a bit of a rant. Um, the two things I'll fill in is uh, the only thing I'll say about in, in Fizayev's sort of favor is as he was getting taken down, and he's, he was he was posting his hands on on the floor to raise his hips up. Essentially, I'll just do the breakdown thing. What RDA was attempting to do was pull Fiziev's hips away from the mat. The reason away from the cage. Sorry, the reason why that's advantageous is if your hips are against the cage, you can use the cage to get your feet under you and get up. Right. If your hips are away from you, you're going to have to do either one of two things: either use a bit of jiu-jitsu to get up and create some space and do whatever, or wrestle up. Right. Um, one and the same, or you need to get your hips back to the mat, right? What Fiziev was doing was as RDA was pulling him away from the mat, he was uh, posting on both of his hands to raise his hips up off the mat. Generally, what RDA is expecting is friction as he pulls him, right? He's expecting his arms to come with him. But essentially, uh, Fiziev was acting like, uh, the only way I can describe it is, you know those old counting machines where they'd like sway from side to side, hitting the ball from side to side? I don't know what they're called. An abacus, is it? Some shit like that. Um... But uh, that's what Fiziev was doing, was allowing the momentum swing to then swing himself back to the, to the cage. Um, he looked to put the, t- at the clock and there was a minute and three seconds left. And he verbally, you saw him say it. He said, oh, like he nodded to himself and said, oh, a minute. As in, I'm safe here. He's only got a minute. He's not going to finish me. He's not going to do whatever. So he just rode the, ra- rode the round out, right? Now, RDA, as I, as I said to you, either off camera or just now, his RDA should have been jumping absolutely all over him. You know, his knees weren't in a great position in comparison to his elbows. You shouldn't be posting two hands on the mat because you're going to get Dagestani handcuffed real quick. Like it's uh, it's not a conventional way to, to, to stop somebody from dragging your hips away from the mat. And I think RDA should have been capitalizing. Obviously RDA is still 20 minutes deep into, into a fight, right? And, and, you know, 24 minutes deep into a fight. So like I understand that's fine, um, but those are the moments that lose you tight, that lose you five round fights. You know, um, we saw what happened in in the fifth round, and I'm just going to fill in a gap because the setup came before the knee. So when Fiziev came out, he angled off and landed the left hook, an initial left hook, right? And you saw RDA shake to his boots, and he did such a good job of hiding it with a poker face, but it's his jaw that gave it away. So when Fiziev landed, RDA clenches his jaw as it starts to wobble, right? That tells you that's a big shot. When you take shots in the, uh, in, in the limited sort of uh, vast scope of experience that I have of taking shots is the first thing I do when I used to take a shot is I'd bite down on my mouthpiece to make sure my jaw wasn't broken, right? Because if I could bite, we're good. If I couldn't bite, we got problems, right? And you saw RDA 
brace the shot as it hit him by clenching his jaw and his feet started to root. Fiziev saw it, right? He read it, he saw it and he was like, oh, okay. And then did the Fiziev things where the knee came and the straight came and then the, you know, and then the left hook to finish him. But what Fiziev did really well is as RDA took that clench, Fiziev again started to angle, which brought RDA's feet together. And I think that's one of the things, not only did he catch him picture perfect, but RDA's footwork wasn't in a position where he could take the shot and then base out. So both he took the shot and then the coffin nails and, and whatever, whatever, whatever. Um, and something I'm going to say is something that, you know, Max Holloway said this the other day, and, and I think it's really, really, really stuck in my mind is that getting to the UFC is fine, right? Getting to the top 15 is fine. Getting to the top five is difficult, but then getting to a title is even harder. And I think that when I look at these guys, I think of, I sometimes think that I'm too critical of fighters and that I expect more of a level of perfection from them than, than maybe what they produce. But then Raphael Fiziev is a, is, is a gentleman that wants to win a UFC title, right? He's not a guy that's, let's say, a Michael Johnson, who's now going to take some fights, earn some bank, and ride off into the sunset maybe in two or three years. He's a guy that is absolutely looking to gun down that title, win it, take it home to Azerbaijan, and you know roll around on an open-top bus or whatever he's going to do, right? Then I think about Alexander Volkanovsky's performance over Max Holloway. And I think actually maybe we're not being critical enough of these fighters because Max said it himself, right? It's all well and good getting to the top five, getting to the top three, but the level of difference between top three, top one, top two, top three to top five is gargantuan in some aspects. And then the level of the champion to one win and two hold the belt is a different level entirely. So if I look at, Fizayev's performance, I would grade him based on the achievement unlock, which is well done. You're now going to find yourself inside a top five, like in that cage with a top five opponent. And then we have big questions. So maybe I sound pessimistic or maybe I sound too critical, but I think you know, something you and I have talked about. I did say this was going to be a rant. I apologize. This is one thing you and I talked about. Uh, off cam, off mic was that we need to start putting a better framework together as to how we grade these fighters in comparison. So it's not just oh he's ranked or unranked, and it's it's almost disrespectful in a way to say if you're inside the top fifteen, you're the same essentially. You're just waiting on a chance right. to get into that top three when it's really not like that, right? So in terms of Rafael Fiziev. We saw some things that were brilliant last night. We really, really did. We saw some things that I'd look at and I say better fighters than RDA, fighters that aren't nearly 40 years old, fighters that haven't been through the wars that RDA has been through are going to exploit some of these holes that I saw last night. And if I'm seeing them, you best believe that the best fighters in the world are seeing them and they're going to be doing a far better job to capitalize on them than I can from my couch. So I'm going to actually expand on that conversation you and I had off mic about the way we talk about athletes, the way we quantify them, sort of the need to 
expand our lexicon when it comes to and expand our definitions of of these athletes. I've been thinking about it all day, jotting down some notes. It's going to be my podcast for Monday. Um, and I'm going to sit and actually put some some real time. It's not going to be an off the dome kind of typical Spencer Monday, because I do think it is a very important piece of this. Tying it to Fazeev specifically, the thing I wanted to say is that exactly what you said about Max's comments to Luke Thomas um, going into UFC 276 about the different levels of it and how hard it is and that each is. And I like that you use the word unlock the achievement. Perfect analogy. Anybody that plays games, anybody that is, you know, done any gaming at all, you know what it means to unlock those next kind of goals and those next achievements or those next levels or whatever it may be. It means you've reached a certain point, but there's still more to go. And the thing to me with Fazeev coming out of this fight is that it puts him in that group, but being in this group to me can be a three or four year process where there might be a loss or two. There might be a win next time out. And then that gets you your first number one contender fight. And you lose that one and you have to take two steps back and win two more to get to your next one, right? We saw it with Dustin Poirier when he was down at featherweight. We saw it with Dustin Poirier on his way up the ladder at lightweight. Charles Oliveira's first 20 fights in the UFC were 10 and 10. And then it took a great big long winning streak that he's on now where he had to continually pass test after test after test to get to that level. And I think to me, what I see is when a fight like this happens and a guy like Fiziev beats Dos Anjos, who, as we said, we know the quality, we know sort of the general range he's going to have in terms of the rankings when they update this week, whether that's the UFC, whether that's the guys at MMA fighting, fight matrix, whoever's, whoever's rankings you're going by, we know where he's going to be in that, you know, sort of seven through 12 range, I would say globally. Getting from there to number one is going to take a whole lot of time. He may not get there. We're going to find out more. As I said off the top, this answered a lot of questions. This is a big, big test to pass. There are harder ones. Like this to me was graduating, maybe graduating high school. And now you're into college and then the next test is you're, you're out of college, but then you're going for your master's or you're going for a PhD or you're going to law school or whatever it is. That's what's next. And that's where a lot of people wash out in those career paths. We saw Michael Johnson's a perfect example, both because he's on this card and because he's been in that position where he has the win over Dustin Poirier and it's a beautiful win and it's okay. It's time for him to get the test and he failed. And he was close, the Justin Gaethje fight five years ago, somehow already. It was close. He had his moments. <laughs> Harry's making me like, what? That was five years ago? Yep, they, they mentioned that on the broadcast, and I made that same face. Time is flying by. The pandemic just absolutely clobbered two years out of existence. I was 23. <laughs> <laughs> but it's certainly like he's a good example of that sort of what we're talking about. That when you get to these levels, it then time sort of condenses, it slows down because it is so difficult. You go from fighting three or four times a year and making big gains to you're fighting once or twice a year. And the, 
the move up is is smaller. The chance for improvement in terms of skill and development, that's that's going to be the thing that I'm looking for going forward next time we see Fiziev. What does he take from this win that he improves on that becomes a greater weapon going forward? Because I like a bunch of the weapons. I like a bunch of the tools. There's clearly something there with this guy. What are the things that you look for that make him someone that has the potential to pass these next tests? I think it entirely depends on the matchup, right? Like if it's Gaethje, that's a tough fight. That's a tough fight for both men, you know? Because that's a fight that one of the first fights in a while that Gaethje's going to have a guy that he's not going to have to think at all about any offensive wrestling whatsoever. And I think that will tell us a lot about where Justin Gaethje is in his UFC career. Um, but I think one of the things I'd like to see from Pazeev, and this may sound crazy, is a little bit more versatility. In the fight against RDA, he has lots of lovely striking things, right? He fights in combinations. He switch hits. He has lovely dexterity in his legs. Some of the kick setups are nice. He has an ability to land elbows when he can. His in-pocket exchanges are nice. He throws long combinations. All of these things are good. His footwork generally in resets and stance switches, they're all nice. They're all clean but he falls into patterns of what he's throwing, right? The back teep to the left hook was a staple in this fight. Now, look, don't get me wrong. RDA wasn't able to do anything about it, right? He didn't counter it well enough. He didn't force Fazeev to make any adjustments. So taking the least line of resistance is obviously the, the, the most optimal thing when you're in a fist fight with a man like RDA. But I just think that, it feels like there, there can be more and I would like to see there be more. And equally, if you look at all of the champions right now, they have an ability to take the fight anywhere, right? Now we saw Fazeev, and let's not make any mistake about this. We saw Fazeev hit Anuchimata we hit we saw Fazeev try what looks like some offensive things, but make no mistake, it is not offensive at all. All he's doing is forcing RDA to have his hips below the line of Fazeev's hips. Because that means Fazeev doesn't have to go to the ground, right? What we saw with the Uchimata was RDA didn't want to be on bottom, and you can't blame him. Fazeev obviously didn't want to be on bottom. That's why he tried the Uchimata and both lads just immediately disengaged. And that was perfect. That was a, a net res positive result for Fazeev because if RDA chose to be on the bottom, well, you know, Fazeev could either back away and force him to stand up or he could do some of the fighting on the ground, right? But RDA chose not to do that. Fine. I would like to see Fazeev show a wrinkle where he can hit consistent takedowns and land strikes. Not even just as a, I'm a wrestler now, or I'm a this or I'm a that, but I just think striking and striking alone at the top of the 155 pound division, and frankly, most divisions that aren't middleweight and heavyweight, you're going to need to show both. 
you're going to need to show, and again, this may sound hypercritical, but I think if you're Rafael Fazeev, we have to talk about you in these sorts of ways, is the apex of each division is the next generation of what MMA looks like. And make no mistake, the next generation of MMA looks like you have to be able to do everything and you have to be able to look comfortable in doing it. And at the moment, we haven't seen someone force Fazeev to do that. Is that Justin Gaethje? Maybe, maybe not. Is that a Dustin Poirier? Maybe, maybe not. But, I mean, it's a question that I would like to see answered, is what I'm saying. And I do think it is a question that we will probably see answered going forward. Because as we said, this is the win that gets him in the door into some of those conversations. He said to me going in that he doesn't think anybody ahead of him will accept a fight because why would they? Nobody seems to want to fight backwards. He gave RDA all the credit in the world for, for again signing up to fight backwards. I think we are going to see the division get matched up here pretty quickly now that we've had some results, now that we know a few things going forward. I hope he does get matched up ahead of him because I really want to see some of those matchups and have some of those conversations and some of the things you just mentioned kind of on the table again for us to discuss with more evidence, with more experience. I'm sorry you can. Yeah, that would be that would be a whole lot of fun. So we're going to kind of bounce around throughout the rest of the card because my notes here said, Fazeev ready for the next test. Everyone else question mark, not yet. Because that felt like the overall tone for the rest of the night was that there were a lot of guys that we had questions about that we wanted to see kind of where they're at in their respective divisions. What can we realistically expect from them going forward? And I'll just kind of real quickly run through all of the results with the like, this is the person we were thinking about, and this is the not yet. So Kyle Bahio gets a unanimous decision win over Armin Petrosian. It's fine. It's lots of grappling. It wasn't as impressive as the first as the first fight. I don't think he's anywhere near ready to be anything that the UFC maybe wants him to be. Slow your roll. Saeed Nurmagomedov has the kind of wild, spinny fight that we expected that we talked about on the Severe Preview Show with Douglas Silva D'Andrage. He gets the win. Fine. He's continuing to move forward. These are the important things. But it felt to me, and I, I think you agree, that it showed there's still some stuff to work out. He's not quite at that progressed point that maybe we had hoped. Chase Sherman gets a third round TKO win over Jared Vandera. Uh, neither of these guys were on the questions and where can they go going forward because this is about where they belong. Felt like Vandera gave that fight away, said it on Twitter throughout that fight of like, this guy, this guy willingly grappled and had success with Alexei Olenek and opted to stand with Chase Sherman. He could very well pay the price. He paid the price. This is what I do. I, I predict these things. Eamon Zahabi gets a uh, unanimous decision win over Ricky Tercios, who did a lot without doing a lot. Um, one of the oddest performances in a while. Officially landed like 13% of his strikes. Um, good win for Eamon. Second straight victory. Real clean. Real just polished. A guy that he is just a professional fighter, but I think he's also kind of, this is where he's going to be 
He's a little older than you would you would think for a guy that that was his 11th fight. It's a good win. He'll still be around for a while, but we're not necessarily making runs up the division. Jamie Malarkey lands on the happy side of the split against Michael Johnson in a quintessential Michael Johnson fight where he tags Jamie Malarkey, gets real, real confident about it, and is shaking off Jamie Malarkey's shots, and then eats one and gets put on jello legs. And from there, it's just a dogfight the rest of the way. Johnson gets props for his toughness and his resiliency and his ability to take punishment. But just one of those fights where, like, as soon as he landed on Malarkey, I said to myself out loud, no one else in my office, you got to finish here. Because if you don't, I know where this is going. And it's it's going the Michael Johnson way. On to the prelims, Cody Brundage gets a knockout win over Treshawn Gore, a very nice right hand in tight um the question for me going in was is is gore anything is there anything we can see from this guy i said yesterday and about last night this was five fights this was his fifth fight this is a guy that should be on the regional circuit fighting every you know eight weeks 12 weeks 16 weeks just logging up time and experience and being in the gym not being in the ufc Cody Brundage, keep an eye on it. That's really it for now. Anthony Nishevchenko, Courtney Casey, really two veterans that are just established. Another split decision loss for Courtney Casey, who has got to just be livid with the world for constantly being in these kind of fights and not really finding any way out of them. David Onama gets a second round submission win over Garrett Armfield. We will get back to Onama. It is a win that moves him forward. A guy we were both interested in, I still think there are positives. I think there are upside, but this fight, as you will discuss later, kind of shows again that there's lots of there's lots of room to grow still. There's lots that he's got to learn and figure out, but still an interesting guy to watch. Kennedy and Zechaku gets a third round TKO over Carl Roberson. Kennedy's a guy I've talked to a bunch of times. He's at Fortis MMA with Safe Saud and the crew. Great big kid that if he figures some of this stuff out, the raw materials are there. The weapons are there. He started figuring it out a little bit against Carl Roberson in terms of that fight specifically. Gets a good finish. Back to him in a bit. And then the opener, Saeed Yakub Kakramanov, comes out and just out-wrestles Ronnie Lawrence. And this is where we're going to, we're actually going to stick here and go forward. Because you and I were both fans of Ronnie Lawrence coming in. We like what he had showed in the win over Vince Cachero and in the performance against Mana Martinez. Comes out and he eats a shot right away and then just gets wrestled. And you messaged me or we were on the stream talking about it and and you sort of said, this looks like a guy that, you know, great when it's going his way and he's dictating. But when it's not, there's a whole bunch of questions and a whole bunch of, whole bunch of things you don't necessarily like. Yeah, I mean... Again, I think it's important to not say like and dislike, just merely what do I see and what do I not see? Or what does the fight tell me and what does the fight not tell me? The fight tells me that Ronnie Lawrence, when he's the nail, sorry, when he's the hammer, is brilliant. He's brilliant. If he can get himself into his top positions, when he can get himself into a groove of of grappling and grappling effectively, he's fantastic. You know, really, really, really good. Great style, relentless gas tank. But when he's the nail and he comes up against somebody who can really, really grapple, 
and somebody that has a bit of striking behind him, it looks like it looked last night. You know, you can't argue the willing, you can't argue the toughness, you can't argue the heart, but he was just outclassed, right? And what that shows you, and I think there's a speaker's corner in here somewhere about why losses are important in MMA, because a lot of the fighters you talk to and ask questions of, you know, what are you working on in camp, whatever, whatever, all of them sort of say, I'm just working on sharpening my strengths. Very few people say, and be very cognizant about these are my weaknesses and I'm day on day on day on day on day on day on day trying to fill in these gaps. And I think for Ronnie Lawrence, the gap isn't necessarily defensive wrestling. The gap is being able to one, scramble from bad positions and two, force problems on the feet in the striking exchanges that make the grappling exchanges more desperate and less calculated because, uh, Say this gentleman's second name for me again. Kakramanov. Kakramanov was able to dictate both transitional phases, right? He was able to dictate how the fight was going standing and was then able to dictate when and, and how he took Ronnie Lawrence down, right? That's a problem. You can go against a better wrestler, right? That's fine. Um, and you can find a way to to make them pay on the feet that forces them to dive on takedowns or be more desperate on takedowns. Ronnie Lawrence could do neither. That's a problem. Um, so we'll see what he looks like going forward for sure. It felt to me almost like, and I don't want to say a, when I say a cognition thing, I don't mean it that he's not mentally sharp. I mean it in, almost in his head too much in those situations. There's not the instinctive reaction of this is what I need to do. It's, it's almost, you and I have had some conversations over the last few weeks about athletes who look like they are very good pad fighters. They know the combination that they're going to throw. They know the thing that they're going to do. And when they get to do those ones, they look great. But when they have to improvise and they have to, you know, it turns into jazz and you got to just go with it. It's not as good. And it felt a little bit like that with Ronnie Lawrence, as you were saying, hammer, he's terrific nail. He's got to think and he's got to figure it out and he's got to, and the quickness of it isn't there. And if you're, if you're in that position where you're looking to defend and scramble and get out and, and have to take the right steps, you need to be first. You need to be the guy that is making those decisions quicker than the other guy is getting through his progressions because he's doing the stuff he wants to do. He's where he, he's in his mitt session. He's in his grappling session where he's going through all of his chain. And so I think that's going to be one of these things that I start paying a lot more attention to, especially with these younger fighters, more inexperienced fighters. Like these are two guys that are you know, still very early in their careers, still relatively young. Ronnie Lawrence, I think, is 30. Kakramanov is 26. These are, these are the things I want to pay attention to more. And as you said, speak about in a, in a better sense and in a better way with better words instead of just like and dislike and things like that. Because going into this, Kakramanov was somebody at the start of the year, I think his first fight was supposed to be against Brian Kelleher. He may have been the very first fighter to watch of this year and that fight actually got scrapped because of 
think he got COVID or there were visa issues or something. And it's not that I bailed on him going into this fight. I just liked what I saw from Ronnie Lawrence more. But this is a kid that has some has some potential and, and deserves one of those asterisks next to his name as a watch next time out in this division that we think so highly of. You liked some of the stuff that Kennedy and Zechku did in his fight with Carl Roberson. What specifically stood out to you? Uh, belief, I think, is the answer. So before you even talk, before you even continue, I'm going to tell you right now that I'm going to send either a clip of this or a transcript of this to save Saud tonight and say, this is the, this is the one word description of what my colleague and my cohort on this show felt that really stood out about Kennedy's performance. And he's probably going to just scream and be so excited. So, yeah, I mean, Carl Robertson came in and looked to try to exploit a game plan of, of offensive grappling, right? It seemed to me as though Robertson, who has got, you know, a decent enough kickboxing background, a decent enough striking arsenal, saw a hole in Kennedy's game and wanted to try and exploit it. It was a gamble. The gamble did not pay off. I thought that Kennedy looked uh, the far more physical fighter, the far larger fighter. But what we saw, there was there was a there was a light shining moment. A light bulb came on in Kennedy's head when he realized that he was the better grappler than Carl Robertson. And we saw him transition so quickly from defensive to offensive grappling. And then the thing that was so golden was he just didn't look back, right? He went out in the second round and was like, well, I'm sorry, sir, but you picked your poison here. You thought that you could outgrapple me, and I'm going to show you quite, quite, quite quickly that one, you couldn't, and two, that that was a really, really bad mistake to make. Now, there were some deficiencies in terms of decision-making on the ground. I thought that Kennedy looked to me, and you put it really well, that all the raw materials are there. He looks like a brilliant athlete. He's super long for the division, got a great frame, really brilliant frame, clearly loads of power, clearly loads of willing, right? He's able to do the things really well when he's able to do them. But he was getting to positions of sort of 75% dominance with Roberson on the ground and was just then rushing things just a touch, right? He was looking for chokes that weren't there. When Roberson was misaligned from chest to back, he was looking for things that weren't really there. Instead of securing positions, instead of looking to go belly down, instead of looking to, you know, strike when he should have struck, he was looking for chokes. Instead of choking when he, you know, was striking, it was just a, an inexperienced thing. I think, rather than anything else. But with a bit of technical brushing and with some better decision-making, I think Carl Robertson's out of there quicker than he ended up being last night. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned inexperience because that's a thing that I've said about Kennedy. And look, I've, I've interacted with this, this team, this athlete specifically, quite a bit covering the Contender Series for all five years that it's been on, obviously, Fortis MMA has been the most successful camp coming through the contender series. So I've worked with these guys. I've talked with these guys. I've had lots of conversations 
with Safe Saud about his athletes and Kennedy specifically. It is a belief thing. It is a will thing in terms of like, when, as you said, when the willingness is there, it looks really good because those raw materials are there, because the, the fibers of a, of a really good fighter are there. And then there are moments where we've seen some of these losses, where it doesn't look right, where it just, he's not making the right decisions. It's not the right processing. He maybe doesn't want to be in that, that piece of it. And so the other part is, I, I truly agree with you. It's, it's just experience. We cannot, we, we talk about it all the time, probably on this show, and I write about it a bunch, and Harry talks about it a bunch. There is no, well, I won't say there's no substitute for experience. There's no substitute for experience. It's not necessarily the most important thing for a fighter, as Sherry, Harry and Sean discuss on a terrific episode of, of The Speaker's Corner that is coming out soon, I believe. But it is a it is a vital piece here. Like you, there's such a difference between live action and rounds in the gym, and you can't you can't fake it. You can't trade it. You can't anything. You get to know your sparring partners. You know their moves. You can be a step ahead of them or a step behind them. They're not necessarily trying to hurt you the same way. And I think Kennedy and Zachiku is one of those people that just needs if he can consistently make three appearances each year for the next couple of years, I think we can see some growth. Everything, again, it's not linear. It's not guaranteed. Things happen. But in terms of the coaching I know that he gets, the room that I know he's in, the tools and the talents that we've seen thus far in the UFC career, the willingness to be there, I think there is still upside and there is room to grow. And we'll just have to see as these things progress. Yeah, I mean, I, for me, the big thing for him, and maybe this is an you know a conversation that that is happening under the overarching umbrella of of the word belief, is to just just be comfortable with himself and his frame inside there, because there are things and times when he looks awkward. And I don't think it's because he doesn't know what he's doing. It just feels as though he's doing things and it feels unnatural to him. And we talked about, I talked about a fighter, uh, Jalen Turner recently, who seems to be a guy that's finally accepted and got comfortable with his own body and his range and all of these sorts of things. And we saw the devastating effect it had on Brad Riddell in their fight. And I think that's one thing I'd like to see Kennedy uh, fix first is just understanding his range in all facets of the game. In out pocket, mid pocket, in pocket, back body lock, cage wrestling, on top, on bottom, everything. If he can figure out who he is and truly build a connection with his own body and an understanding of his own body and relative to the various transition of fighting, I think there'll be just vast improvement because you touched on experience and my, obviously my argument of uh, experience is skills and skill acquisition. And the more that I've thought about that conversation, that it will come out whenever it comes out, I'm not sure, but is that actually 
it's a it's an actual marriage between the two of them, right? It is impossible to have a successful fighter without both, and both happening in somewhat of a linear experience, right? Somewhat of a linear path. Because if you have all the skill in the world, but no experience, it'll be very difficult for you to know when to use the skill. And if you have all the experience and no skill, well, then the experience means nothing because your ability to fight at a higher level doesn't exist because of the lack of skills, right? So, yeah, for Kennedy, I think you're right. There are, there are non-fighting, non-tangible things that need to be fixed before we see the next step up in experience and or skill. I feel like some of that is a good transition, a good segue. We're now kind of moving back up the card into David Onama, who feels to me like absolutely someone to watch in this featherweight division. This performance wasn't as good as the performance against Gabriel Benitez. There's certainly a myriad reasons why. Short notice fighter, different kind of fighter, who knows? All kinds of different things. Ultimately, he gets the finish, shows a, a little bit of something else in his repertoire, keeps moving forward. But again, to, to the theme of the Fiziv and everybody else, there was stuff that just kind of stood out that he needs to work on in it in our conversations prepping for this and last night watching the fights it feels to me like it sort of falls into that same stuff as as you were mentioning with Kennedy and Zechiku and a little bit almost with the Jalen Turner of when David Onama figures out that he has got all kinds of these natural gifts and tools and how to use them good lord look out yeah I wasn't as high on the performance, to be honest. Um, I thought he beat a guy that was a weight class below him that he absolutely should have beaten, comes in on short notice and didn't look as good as I expected him to look. A hundred percent. I think that he had advantages in every area and didn't show them. Um, and that to me uh, makes me take a slight back step on David Onama. I would like to see a fight where he has a full camp, the other person has a full camp, and they can come in and do the fighting, and then I can make a real read. I I feel like he is not going to be a guy that we're going to see vaulted into a top 15, top 10, top 5 at the peak of his powers, I could be wrong, but I think age and everything else plays a big factor here. He's what, 28, is he? Right? 28, yeah. So to me, there's a lot of raw ability, but there's a lot of skill that needs to be applied on top of there. There's a lot of maturity in terms of decision-making. There's a lot of maturity in terms of who he is as a man, as a person. You know, you go and you listen to him have a in his post-fight press conference, and I don't pay so much mind to those sorts of things because you're high on adrenaline, you've just watched, won a fist fight, whatever. And somebody asked him about, oh, you fought this kid before, what did you think? And he was like, well, I guess I proved I'm a better grappler. And I'm like, well, kind of. Right. You know? Yeah, like you maybe. Via some grappling. But <laughs> that's what you took from that performance? Okay, 
I think, yeah, for Onama, there are some things to fix and there are some glaring things to fix. I think we, the difficult situation that Onama is in is that he's not on the young side. He's not old by any stretch of the imagination, but he's coming into the UFC at 28, right? Which means the UFC are going to treat you accordingly. They're going to treat you in a way that you're not going to be given the slow roll with loads of time to build. You're not going to see David and Arma given three years to go away and get comfortable wearing those shorts and those gloves and, you know, bring his head to a space where he can really truly understand that he's a UFC fighter and what that means and et cetera, et cetera. He's won a couple of fights and you're going to see him against a guy that you actually know in his next fight. And then we're really going to see who he is and and what his ceiling is. But my fear for David Onama is that the skill and the experience are not on the same trajectory. And that's going to be a problem. Yeah. By comparison to, to keep touching on a guy we've mentioned already, Jalen Turner, he's 27. He just, he actually just turned 27. So he's fresh 27, but he started his career and gained a bunch of experience much earlier to where he's now at that point that the skill and the understanding and the experience are all overlapping in that Venn diagram. And we're in that perfect center space where he can now progress forward. The one thing, and it's not even really a pushback, you know this, I think everybody that listens to our podcast probably knows this. Very few athletes are probably going to actually, shouldn't say very few. There are a lot of athletes that aren't confident enough and comfortable enough in their own being to go out at a post-fight press conference after they've had a win and after they've gotten a victory and say, I was shit, mate. These are the things that I need to do. Like, sure, I got a win, but I should have beaten him in. If he had said that, I'd have had so much more. I'd have, That would have been the ear perk up moment for that performance of David Onama because that's the self-awareness of I don't just go into the gym and work on the things I'm good at I have this list now from this fight that I need to work on of things that I wasn't good at and so I think there's a little bit of third time in the UFC second win short notice just go out there and say the thing that you can say that gets a little bit of a headline that a couple people laugh at whatever it's dumb it's it's not what you want it's not what you or I want I'm sure his coach, James Krause, was probably like, yeah, you didn't prove anything about grappling. Guess what we're doing this week? All the grapplings. And so to me, it is, as I said, I think you're right. I think it is a little bit of a a pullback on the reins. Let's get him in there with somebody that everybody knows. The projection of where he could get to is a little bit back now. And let's see what the next couple of fights bring. Can I just jump in one second? Of course. I think something that we should do as well, and this is slightly contradictory to what we're saying about speaking and having a rhetoric of being able to sort of mark fighters' placement slightly better, is I would like to see nobody talk about, not nobody, but we should have a scale. To me, I try not to think too much about a UFC fighter's project trajectory until I've seen them in there five times. Right. 
right? Like, that's like an arbitrary figure. You go and you, you know, when uh, Zabit Magomed Sharapov came in and made his debut, I was like, okay, I'm on board. Let's fucking, <laughs> right. let's all the way up the chain and let's just see it, right? Fine, you know? But I think that, especially for guys like Onama, if they don't have that unbelievable, overwhelming X factor, right? Then we need to be way kinder, I think, on how harshly we judge these fighters. Now, that's not to say, first of all, David Anama didn't have a shit performance yesterday. There were just some things that didn't impress me as right. much as I wanted to be impressed by him. <laughs> right. But I think we should be looking at these fighters and just saying, this is what happened in the fight. This is what happened in the fight after. We're four fights deep now, and either these are the evolutions and the adjustments that we've seen, and that generally is going to pertain to us thinking he's going to be somebody that we may see in X spot, or he's not made any adjustments. You know, I just think we need to be less emotionally invested in what it means when we say a fighter might get to the top 15, top five championship potential in comparison to when we say, this fight is going to be outside of the rankings for their UFC career, but may be ton of fun, may not be ton of fun, or this fight is just not UFC level. I think I understand wholeheartedly how much of a, I mean, I don't because I haven't done it, but, but I understand from listening to fighters how emotionally charged this career is. But it's our job from an outside perspective to absolutely negate all of that emotion and do our best to just tell the truth. Now, I've already been hypocritical in saying we shouldn't use words like like and dislike or impressed or not impressed because they're not factual, they're opinion based, right? And that's something we need to work on as a, as, a, as a media collective. But I think it is important to say David Onama has a ton of room to grow. Whether he's going to grow or not, we're going to find out. Three UFC fights in, let's talk about him again after his next two and see where he is. I'm going to tease out a little bit of what tomorrow is going to be on the podcast because, I'm, as I said, I've been thinking about this all day since you and I started talking about it this morning in, in planning this podcast. So in a bunch of different North American sports, football, basketball primarily are the ones that come to mind, baseball a little bit. Prospects are often rated on a star system where it's one through five star. Five star in MMA is that Zabit. It's that Shavkat where they step into the cage and you go, yep, on board. Give me the ticket. Give him a top 15 fight tomorrow. I can see all of the good things. Let me see it. We can project with confidence because either who they've beaten on the way up, what we've seen in those fights on the way to the UFC, in those initial first couple appearances in the octagon, it becomes crystal clear that these people are terrific. Now, that's no guarantee. Anybody that follows, you know, collegiate sports and major professional sports in North America, and I'm sure it's the same in club football in Europe, right? Prodigious talents when they're younger that are projected to be the next coming through Barca or coming through Chelsea or Man U or wherever, just never make it. And so one of the things I'm going to try to get better at myself is talking about these athletes in terms of, especially people that are on the way up, prospects, younger fighters, whatever, developing fighters, 
in that star kind of sense of things where it's this guy's a five-star recruit so we can the projection is understandable this guy's a four so maybe it's let's not david onama to me is probably a three and this performance kind of erased a little bit of the corners of one of those threes where it might just be that he's a two and a half star i want to see it because i think he can get to be a three or a four even maybe but we need to really understand and really kind of apply some of what Max said about the levels of this sport to the way we talk about it so that we are expressing these things to viewers, to listeners, to the people that consume our content and the content around this sport effectively to where they don't just think everyone's a prospect and all prospects are the same because they're not in any way, shape, or form. They are not. And as you said, it is on us to convey those messages and make those things clear from a unemotional, un, as unbiased as we can. And I think part of that is definitely doing the right, but he's three fights into the UFC. So just pump the brakes. Just wait. It's why as much of an asshole thing as it sounds when I throw out the Natan Levy number, which is a little calculation I do of how how fighters, how the guys a prospect beat did after they beat them, where the number sort of gives me a sense of who that person fought on the way up. Negative number means not so great. Positive number means great. Named after a guy that was 6-0 coming off the contender series, but the people that he fought were just didn't go on to do anything. Conversely, Shavkat Rachmanov, Fought a bunch of really good people on the way up, which is why he's a five-star. Give me the tickets right away. It's those sorts of things to me that are going to define how we speak about these athletes and break down and sort of give us a better understanding and a better way of speaking about them. And we'll get into it a lot more tomorrow when I sit down with copious amounts of notes and, and stuff all written out in front of me on my screen. But I think you're right. I think it is important that we say that as often as we can they need experience we can't make these judgments snap judgments after two fights three fights against the competition they face there's so many more questions it's it's actually funny to me because we go into most of these events right and the main event was okay the next test the next question for Fazeev who we've all enjoyed we've all been excited by thus far but we still had questions he still had tests that were waiting to decide where he's at and so why aren't we exhibiting that same patience further down the card with these people that have passed fewer and fewer and fewer tests and that's where we need to get to i believe that's what you're saying because you're sitting there nodding your head in agreement yep 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 i think it, to me, it comes down to a, it boils down to a respect thing. Because really, really and truly, because the rankings are so coveted and it's so publicized and whatever, if we had a top 50 rankings for every weight class in the UFC, people would care more about what that meant. But at the moment, what we have is we have a top 15 
And then you may see on a topology or whatever, like a fan voted, rated top 50 or whatever. And nobody puts legitimate stock into the UFC one because it's done by a handful of people that are very tangentially connected to the sport because nobody really wants to be involved with it because we know the machinations that happen in terms of contracts and pay and things of that nature that everybody that everybody god this is going to sound disrespectful but i can't help it anybody whose opinion on that that you would want to actually know isn't involved in it because we don't want to be involved with well you're only ranked number 13 i don't want any of that no one i know does the rankings continue but i think that it's the pursuit of that number against your name. John Anik says it all the time. Oh, after this fight, we're going to, you know, on Monday morning, this fight is going to wake up and he's going to have a number next to his name. Like that's the achievement unlocked. Right. But it feels as though from a fan perspective and in some fashion, the way we, we talk about these cards and these fighters is that, and in some ways it's right to do so. In some ways it's less right to do so. We look at these fighters and we say, well, they're not ranked, so we can be much harsher on them. Whereas the guys that are ranked, we should give them time because clearly they're good enough to be ranked. And that is some backwards logic in some fashion. Now, of course, if a fighter makes it to be ranked in the UFC, they are good and we we should give them the time that they deserve, right? We should give them the time to take a loss, to make some adjustments, to go back, take a year out if they want, take six months between fights. Because as you've just said, and this again, again, Max, it's just so fucking poignant. Like it goes back to what Max says is, yeah, you can go and take three, four fights in a year when you're unranked. That's cool. No problem. You do that because no one gives a fuck about you, right? But when you're in the top 15, you see guys take one, two fights a year. Why? Because the stakes are so high, right? The stakes are so high. And let's not get into the whole pay and contractual things about what it means to be ranked and whatever, whatever. But because the media attention and the fanfare around you when you've got your face on that, toilet paper list that is the rankings like people care about you and they care about your performances you're going to see yourself in co-main events and main events of fight night cards you're going to see yourself on main events and and the you know the 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 coveted end of the fight press prelim main event spots on pay-per-views right these are things that people care about these are spots that are important in cards and by our nature, we give these people, these athletes, these fighters more time or more rhetoric in order with which to grow into when they're in these spots. Whereas actually, you know, the kind of the point that I'm laboring on here is if a fighter comes into the UFC and we see a sparkle, just a sparkle, a one star, if you will, right, then we should just, we should be critical of them in the same way that I was critical of Rafael Fazeev. And I was saying, well, he looked good, but there's holes there. You know, there's questions now. There are things that he's gone up against somebody that, that was good enough to show him there are, there's levels to this game, my boy. And you might've gotten past me today, but I've shown you that you're going to have some tough tests in the future. We should do the same thing when we're talking about guys that are coming in we should also give that those guys the same amount of time 
right? The reason I throw out five fights as an arbitrary figure is because we're going to know pretty soon. Shavkat was ranked in five in, in inside five fights. Fucking strap me to the side of the plane, boys. We're going to space, right? But then you take a David Onama and we're like, well, you know, he's got a fucking load of rumor. People are like, oh, he's shit. He's useless. He's not going to. He's had three fights, guys. Let's just let's just fucking let's slow the roll and let's, you know, let's give these fighters the time that they deserve. It's all about patience. It's all about waiting and seeing and, and getting experience, both in terms of watching them and in terms of the athletes themselves gaining those experiences and building off not just our emotional opinions, not just our emotional reactions to their efforts, but the actual evidence that they show us in the cage. Sunday night, Rafael Faziv showed us some pretty clear evidence that he is deserving of being in that upper tier in the lightweight division. And now we go forward into that absolute wood chipper where there's a bunch more questions that we will get answered over the next couple of years, the next couple of fights. And we cannot wait to see them. That feels like a very good place to wrap things up. It is one o'clock in the morning in London for Harry. He's got to get up and teach tomorrow. He's got to go to work. He's given me the one more thing sign. So I'm giving him one more thing. Can we talk about Saeed Nurmagomedov? Oh, we absolutely can. We are not uh, wrapping up, ladies and gentlemen. We are getting to Saeed Nurmagomedov. Yeah, I apologize. I skipped it. I think that's important to... Because the, the 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 thing that really frames this, and I think Saeed is a good example of this, is like, if we're going to stand on our soapbox and tell people to listen to us about when it comes to fighters... And Lord knows I'm going to. I'm probably not. But like, what it what we should be doing is cultivating the best possible metric with which to ask people to trust us when we talk about fighters, right? Somebody like Saeed, right? I watched that fight and De Silva, De, uh, De Silva D'Andrage, yeah? Silva D'Andrage, yeah. Silva D'Andrage. See, right. he screws it up because his nickname is D Silva. Right, that's, that's horrendous. the problem. We fix that, please. Yeah. So, um, that's a tougher test than people make him out to be, you know? Fire hydrant of a man, good grappler, hard, tough striker, cardio for days, good chin, et cetera, et cetera. There were moments in that fight that I was giggling at Saeed's brilliance, right? Just giggling. And then there are other moments where I'm cringing at the decision. Right. Right. And, you know, Saeed to me is a, a solid three and a half star prospect, Right. right? The thing that probably came in as a four and then took a little step back because you're like, well, he's not fighting that often and he makes these dumb decisions. Right. But I, and and I think that the only thing I really need to see from Saeed is just to taper things down just a touch. Right. right? Because he has all the creativity and the ingenuity and just the, the raw bastardness and the balls on him to go out and do the mad stuff. And the mad stuff makes him so difficult to deal with. The dilemma that he presents uh, Silva D'Andrage in that fight is uh, in the very early goings, Silva D'Andrage is like, oh, this spinny stuff is cool. Watch me just fucking take you down and then can't, right? right? 
He then gets scrambled on. He then gets, you know, he can't hold him down. He might be able to get his hips to the mat, but he can't get to a dominant position. He can't land the shots he wants to land. He can't do this. He can't do that. Then the spinning stuff starts to land and it starts to cut you up and it starts to bruise you and it starts to wobble you a little bit. And you're like, oh, actually, this motherfucker is really good. And actually, I should really get outside of my his range because there's every chance that one of these could really, really hurt me. And then Saeed just carries on throwing them. And when he carries on throwing them, you're in perfect range for him to throw them because you're all the way out and he has time to set them up and he has time to cover the distance and land them. Then if he fucks them up, what does he do? He falls in on a single leg and takes you down anyway. And you're like, what the fuck, guys? Like, what am I going to do against this guy, right? I can't stick him to the mat and grind him out there. I can't get too close to the pocket because he's got elbows and he's got flying knees and he's got his own level of grappling. I can't be all the way on the outside, but what I can do, lads, is I can wait for him to make a mistimed spinning attack. I can wait for him to do it with no setup whatsoever. I can wait for him to telegraph that it's coming and I see it from 45 miles away and then I grab a back body lock and then I try and hit the big slam like he did in the third round, right? There are ways and means that the guys that are better in that division will see things coming and will punish him for it. But if Saeed can measure that down and if he can do it in fits and spurts and if he can do it with better setups and if he can do it with better versatility and if he can do it in a way that bolsters an overall game around that, we've got a fucking problem on our hands in that man a little bit of what we talked about with him on the severe show on on thursday last week of the difference between he and umar umar comes out and and gets all the things done properly first and then says let's have some fun let's fuck around saeed comes out and says boys we're just gonna fuck around and see what happens and so far it's been really good it's five and one in the ufc but it also is very indicative to me of what you're saying, that the one loss is to the absolute best fighter that he's faced. The most polished guy, the most patient guy, the most technical guy he's faced in Haoni Barcelos. And so as he now takes this step forward with a third straight victory, he's getting into that thick of the division where there's gonna be one or two of these guys that as you say, can make those reads and figure them out and see, like I did, sitting on my couch in Abbotsford. Ah, he's looking to spin here. He's he's looking to spin again. Oh, he's, he's still looking to spin. He's just going to keep spinning. And they're going to punish him for it. But again, as, as, we, as we've said throughout, this is, to us, this is a process of recognizing the talent, recognizing the skill, understanding the growth potential but letting it happen, giving it the time, giving it the space to be cultivated or not, to mature or not, to grow or not, to develop or not. Because that's really what it comes down to in this sport. You look at any of these, and I'll end with, I'll sort of end with this, right? I talked to Charles Jordan last week for a piece that'll go up on the on the website this week. And we were just kind of talking about different fighters. And he said, you know, I have so much more respect and, and a much much more interested in having a career like Charles Oliveira than Khabib because Khabib went undefeated and didn't have to learn from any adversity. And there were no real 
spots where, you know, super tested, but Charles showed me over now almost 20 years, you know, 15 years in the UFC, the heart that he has, the, the learning, the growth, the patience, the effort, the dedication that's there. Three years ago, very few of us were talking about Charles Oliveira as a guy to watch in the lightweight division. He had just come back to the lightweight division maybe four years ago now, as we said, pandemic really just blew away a bunch of years. But when he came back, he wasn't a guy that anybody was thinking, maybe he's now kind of figured it out and he's going to go on a run. When Max Holloway started his run in the featherweight division, it started in Singapore against Irma Cow, against Will Chope. Nobody thought that that was the start of something special. But we gave them time. We watched them evolve. We watched them develop and grow. And then they slowly started getting there. And some people recognized it sooner than others. Some people were on board, got on that train a couple stops ahead of others. But we saw it. They got the time. And I think that's, that's the big takeaway for us for this card and for this episode. And it's really the big ask from us to everybody listening. Just give these guys time. Give these men and women time to develop, space to grow, space to become the best versions of themselves. And if they don't, oh, we're still going to get a bunch of mad bastards that give us a great, great fight night every Saturday night. That'll do it for us this week. We will be back next week, as always, because Harry has made it clear to me that regardless of what's going on in his life and what time it is, he does not want to miss one of these. So I'm going to have to do my best to honor that when I go out east this fall and things like that which will actually put us in closer proximity time-wise, so it might actually be easier. Go and follow him on Twitter, at BJJ underscore Harry Powell. He is not only my co-host, not only the author of The Severe Spotlight that will come out tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. London time. Ish. Ish. Go follow The Severe MMA crew, the whole lot of them. Ian, Shawnee, Graham, Quilcha, Andy, Denny, uh, who am I forgetting? Anybody? Harry Williams. Jakey. Uh, Jakey the, whole, the whole pack. Sign up for the Patreon. It is the best collection of stuff week in and week out that you can get in your earballs. Follow us. Hang out with us. Support us. We appreciate it. We love you. Be good to one another. And we'll talk to you next week. Know that you're loved. <laughs>